friends. Thanks for tuning into this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom. In this week's conversation, I'm with an old friend and a beloved teacher here in Boise, Idaho, Marcy Midnight. She and I uh, have known each other, gosh, almost probably over 10 years. She was one of the first teachers that I met here in town as she was an early person who was talking to myself and a couple other teachers in town about opening a yoga studio when I first got here. And that's the one that I ended up opening at Sage Yoga and Wellness. And so after I opened Sage in November of 2010, Marcy was one of our very first teachers and she is just one of the best, I'd have to say. She's a teacher I know that many students admire and look up to and really enjoy for the depth of her teaching and also the knowledge and her physical practice and who she is as a being and um, the experience that you get, the full-bodied, full-soul, full-heart, full-mind experience when you that you get when you are with her. So in this podcast, we talk about her personal spiritual journey and practice, including she's been on a sabbatical these past few months, which means she's not been teaching yoga and what inspired that decision and how she's feeling about it now coming back to teach again. And then we also talk about her interest in um, yoga and social justice and aspects of yoga and cultural appropriation, which is kind of a newer topic in the yoga, yogi world, um, considering why and how we use uh, pieces and elements from a different culture and, um, you know, what makes it something like it's being appropriated or not. And she's going to chew on that idea for a while, as well as the idea of spiritual bypass and what that means. And it was just a very thoughtful and super lovely conversation. I know that you're going to enjoy it. And I just want to say thanks to Marcy for giving me the time to chat. I am here in Boise myself, fresh back from Boulder, Utah, where I had the Spirit Dive Retreat that I co-lead with my partner, East Forest. It was a really, really beautiful time. One, I mean, one of the things I love about it most is just giving myself and the guests who come the opportunity to step out of their daily lives and unplug from one technology and expectations and roles and the daily grind and come into a place that has such a high vibe earth energy that we can do practices to start to detox like clean food and clean water and fresh air and sunshine and being out on land and of course yoga and meditation and the music that East Forest provides and you start to uh, like clean out and detoxify our nervous system so that then we can really build it back up in a more expanded, realigned, grounded way. And I know that's how I leave the retreat feeling. And uh, I think our guests do too. And then after I came back from that retreat, I went right back down with my son, Benji, who's seven, soon to be eight, because he was on fall break. And so we spent about four days down there together, also just exploring the desert, going on hikes, daily saunas, and uh, lots of quiet connecting time. (sighs) 
And I think you loved it. I think you'll look back and think that was an amazing trip, even though you know your kids when you take them places. You're not quite sure how it's all landing for them and what they're absorbing and what they'll even remember. But I feel like it was quite potent for them. And I just love those times when I can share the places I love and what I do with my children. My daughter Maya, at the same time, she went to homecoming for the first time. And oh my gosh, she looks so gorgeous, like a grown woman, the gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous grown woman. The photos I saw of her, I was down in spirit type when she went. She looked the happiest I think she's almost ever seemed in uh, a picture. So that makes me happy. That's, that's me in my life right now. This weekend coming up, I am getting ready to lead a, um, another module for our teacher training that we do through Sage Yoga and Wellness. It's the seventh module for one of our groups that started in the spring. So I'll be diving into that this weekend, immersing myself with this group and getting them ready to get launched into the world as yoga teachers. On my uh, drive between Boulder and Boise, I was listening to a podcast with Janet Stone, an interview that was done at Esalen with her. And she does a teacher training also. And the interviewer asked her about, you know, lead teacher training. Tell me about that. And she said, well, I like to think of it more like, you know, the world doesn't really need more yoga teachers, but the world definitely needs more people who are living the practice and science and art of yoga. And I couldn't agree more at all. I feel like through our trainings, I know for me, my intention is to help the students have a deeper understanding of the breadth of what the yoga practice can provide for you psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and how it enhances and can help make better so many areas of your life just to help you become what I feel like is an amazing human being because your consciousness evolves, your awareness evolves, and you know, the bad habits that we have or the tendencies that we have, they really begin to fall away and you become kinder, kinder to yourself, kinder to others, kinder to the world around you. So that's what I hope these students are leaving this teacher training with too, this just idea of how we can become the best human beings possible. We have a practice to go to that helps us with that. So in that vein, you're going, to want, you're going to listen to now one of Boise's favorite yoga teachers who helps you with that sadhana, that practice for sure. This is Marcy Midnight. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Marissa. It's nice to be in conversation with you today. You as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I am, was interested in having a conversation with you because in our community here in Boise, I feel like you're one of the more established longtime yogis with a deep, dedicated practice and somebody that also pays attention to what's uh, arising in the moment internally and then globally too, and you're not afraid to shift according to that. And it seems like in your own yoga practice, you've recently shifted a little bit or transitioning or integrating different types of yoga or ways of being or material or teachings. Is that true? Yes. Um, thank you. Um, 
I have been teaching in this community for a while, um, for sure, about 13 years or so. And it is an ever-evolving process. And <clears throat> and that's where it's interesting to me as well, is to keep continuing to dive deeper and learn more about my own practices and of yoga, because there's so much depth to it that you can just read a book five times and, you know, barely scratch the surface of mm-hmm. some of the yoga books. Um, and... <clears throat> And yes, I feel like at this point in my yoga journey, it's definitely going more to the interpersonal rather than just the personal practice. Um, and that's been... And what does that mean, personal practice versus interpersonal? So for me, in definitely in the very beginning of my yoga practice, it was so much personal um, that it was my practice and it was my time to... Um, just move and breathe and and have my just my own carved out time for myself, which is also really still necessary um, as a self-care um, and to heal as well, whatever come, comes through through the yoga practice. Um, and going to the interpersonal is more of like, okay, how do I apply this these yoga truths to my relationship? with my partner, with my friends, with what I do in the world, what I eat and, you know, every choice that I make. Mm -hmm. So how do I, you know, take the yoga off the mat essentially is, has been growing more and more in importance to me. Mm -hmm. So the personal being what happens when I'm in the studio or on my mat, just that, and the interpersonal being me out here in the world and how yoga is affecting all areas of my life or has the potential to. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And one of your main teachers now, it seems like, is Sean Korn. Yes. Tell me about studying with her. Um, I first did a training with her in 2016 and with her group that or organization that she started with two other women off the mat into the world. Um, and this training in particular was, um, I think it was called Yoga, Social Justice and Leadership. And it was a five-day intensive um, it was about a month after the 2016 election results. Is that what drew you to it or were you looking at it already? I think it was, um, I was interested in that work. Um, but the election of 2016, definitely, <laughs> um, there was more of a yes to diving more into that type of work. Uh, and that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> I think, the election. But um, but I think why that is, is, is because a lot of the, um, I think, the injustices, the, um, it just rose to the surface, basically, during mm-hmm. that time. And um, things that were already existent in our culture, the injustices and the fears and the separation, and um, the list goes on and on. But I think, have been there, but what that this president has showed us is that it's in our face now and um, harder and harder to ignore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use that opportunity to um, educate myself more on how I can understand these things and also bring it into uh, yoga teaching, into the yoga platform. And so that was the first training that I did with her. 
Um, and, and how does that show up in yoga, yoga and social justice? Can you briefly describe that or things sure. that you learned in the training? Yes. And so from, from that perspective, the idea is that yoga, um, bridging those worlds of yoga and social justice uh, can be more effective um, in terms of creating social change rather than having just one or the other. Um, so if we just have the yoga, which is maybe, like I said earlier, a, a personal practice, um, which is super powerful in and of itself. Um, but if it stays personal, then we have a limited ability to create any kind of social change. Um, and it's fine too, if it stops there, but as we know with yoga, there's a ripple effect no matter what, Mm -hmm. and we can't stop it. (laughs) Um, and with the social justice work, so activism that's coming from a place of, um, rage or anger or, you know, those kind of um, heightened emotions um, that just further create more separation, um, then it's also limited. And so with, with the yoga and social justice perspective is that we're coming from a place of compassion. And so we learn in our practice, right, more about compassion and mindfulness and and how to understand um our human conditions, mm-hmm. our human emotions. Um, and the idea, right, is that we see humanity in each other mm-hmm. through that. Are you able then to see, quote unquote, the enemy with compassion versus anger or rage? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just as like Trump, for as example, the Buddha says, you know, that our the ones that we hate are our greatest teachers, Mm -hmm. you know, and seeing them with compassion. Um, That is the idea. Um, Putting it into practice, of Uh course, is very difficult at times. Um, But that is, that's the practice. That's the practice. So the practice would be to try to see someone like Trump without anger or rage, even when he might do things that elicit the feeling of rage? Yes. I I think it's, um, you know, I I believe in that idealism for sure. Um, But I also believe that in emotions and the emotions are real and also have energy and they are energy. It's Mm -hmm. energy and motion. And so rage and anger are at times helpful to, um, to motivate us into action Yeah, it makes me think of the Mahatma Gandhi quote that I'm sure you're familiar with. I was angry, so I did something about it. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's where it's useful. And actually, I don't think should be bypassed. Right. Um, But the practice of yoga is that we feel the emotion, right? Whatever arises. And then we learn how to respond rather than react from that place of emotion Mm -hmm. and trigger. So that is really where the practice is. And so it's <clears throat> it's more than um, just being able to, you know, see Trump as just another human and being compassionate for his faults. And more than that. Right. I, I think it's more than that, right? It's, um, it's the practice of being with our own emotions, which is really hard at times, mm-hmm. is to sit with it. And again, that's the yoga practice. Uh, I believe, and 
And I use this kind of metaphor a lot too in when I teach that, you know, the thousands and thousands of years ago when the yogis um, um, developed the practice and it was, they did some of the physical postures, not many, but the physical postures to be able to sit in meditation for a long period of time, right? So their body could sit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was then. Today, I don't feel like that is as realistic in our modern westernized yoga. Realistic meaning the practice of yoga, the asana practice, isn't for just the ability to sit in meditation. No, I think the the purpose has shifted for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I see the metaphor in that as being um, the practice, whether it's asana or whatever type of yoga you're practicing, is being able to, quote, sit with right. what is. Yes. To sit with our triggers and our emotions, our mm-hmm. traumas that are arising through that practice yeah. that we are coming up against. And that's, again, the off-the-mat practice. On the mat, too. On the mat. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. I get angry in lots of my personal mat time practices. Yes. Or I feel the emotion of anger arise or whatever it might be. And then it's, oh, isn't that interesting yep. that this is here now? Okay, cool. I'm just going to let it be versus the tendency is to project, you know, what am I angry at or why versus sometimes it's like a samskara, right? Like a past karma that's just arising. It just needs its moment to breathe and release. Exactly. So not getting attached to the psychoanalyst in me that wants to define what is the anger about. Just letting it be angry. Yes. Just letting it arise and move through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's that shows up on the mat and it shows up obviously in our, in our lives, um, in our day-to-day living, um, you know, back to um, my teacher, Sean, she has, she quotes, you know, she says, often what shows up on the mat is what's showing up in our lives. Um, and so we can't separate the two. And I believe that to be true as well and have experienced it myself. And when you think about it, you really, you're still in your own body. You can't go to the mat and then, you know, step out of your body. Right. But we can maybe in a sense, and that would be spiritual bypassing. And that's another um, Define topic spiritual bypassing. Oh, define it. Um, I think it's, it's the way in which one kind of goes for the blissful feelings or the heightened feelings of, of joy or happiness um, when, and the bypass is bypassing the pain or the, um, yeah, mostly bypassing the pain because mm-hmm. we all experience pain in some way. And that would be, for example, like, let's say, I don't know, something painful happens in my own life and my reaction to it isn't like, wow, that really sucks and I'm really upset and I'm so sad and allowing myself perhaps like a period of depression or rage or whatever it might be. Instead, taking it to a place of like, oh, well, this is just my karma or everything's all one or this doesn't quite matter on a personal level anyways. Kind of like going more macro Mm -hmm. with 
the event and the situation versus allowing it to feel as personal or as painful as it does? Yes, yes, exactly. That that would be a good example of it. Um, sometimes we need that macro perspective too. Yeah, it is a both ends yes. with it. And I've seen sometimes too, or heard or witnessed when I feel like something's been labeled as a spiritual bypass when really they're just trying to contain the larger perspective at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think it's a little, a slightly different. Um, a, a spiritual bypass might be. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of, you know, of going maybe into your yoga practice and um, maybe in a class and you know maybe you're in pigeon mm-hmm. and the teacher is saying you know you know, just, you know, breathe and, and stay with, you know, the pose and, and, and then maybe you're checking out and that, and that's also connected mm-hmm. to other, you know, ways in which we um, dissociate or, or whatever it is, but could also be a way of spiritual bypassing. So and it's a numbing so effect? So kind of going around the pain. Okay. And, and so maybe just listening to the music and blissing out and maybe ignoring that sensation that might be there. That's a really, it's a small example of uh-huh. it. Um, or another way of kind of a, a a thought process would be in the sense that as a, as a yogi or yoga teacher that, well, in yoga, we're all one. So yeah, I don't want to talk about the separation or the... We talk the, about this in yoga and social justice. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so there is a, it is a paradox and and there is also that kind of um, argument too, you know, of of the belief from the yogic perspective is that we, we all are one. So, so why talk about our differences Mm -hmm. and um, why talk about the inequality and the injustices that exist? Because we're all one, we're all the same. So th- that would be a spiritual bypass way of thinking. Yeah. If you can't um, recognize another person's pain. Yes, it's true that we're all one and you're suffering and the cards are stacked against you and mm-hmm. you have a different human embodied experience than I do because of the color you were born into and the place you were born into and the socioeconomic status you were born mm-hmm. into. That is also true. Yes. And we're one. Yes. And so it gets multi-layered, mm-hmm. really. Um, where... I think of Ramdas too, who says "phony holy," phony holy, yeah. which is his phrase of like, "I'm love and light and bliss," and I'm love and light and bliss. Yes. Oh yes, I'm love, I'm love. And underneath that is like anger, and I hate you, and get out of my space. Yes, like the internal exactly. dialogue exactly. is disconnected from the outward projection. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's exactly what spiritual bypass would be. Mm-hmm. That sort of thought. Yeah. And then your actions reflect it. Right. Right. Okay. I had another thought with that. No, it escaped me. Oh, the other side of it too, being the truth of fake it till you make it. Yes. And I, I do believe in that motto um, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. right? You fake it, well, until you make it. <laughs> <laughs> because as a new yoga teacher, you know, when I was new, like, yeah, I had to fake it till I made it, you know? Yeah. And so I think... I think that's okay. Like I do too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I it, think that's a um uh maybe a slightly different thing too. Um and again it comes down to education. And I think 
where we're at in our in our day and age in um, 2019 um, is that more and, and I see it in the yoga community too, that more and more people are getting educated or educating themselves and wanting to learn more about these larger issues mm-hmm. and have more questions about it. And so I think it's um, definitely a different time than when, when I first started teaching Most yoga. definitely. It's different than we yes. started teaching yoga. It's a totally different landscape, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yes, and it's bringing in all kinds of new and different questions. Like I expressed to you and Naomi about the training I led this weekend. I led the new teachers in training through the history and evolution of yoga and, you know, the historical roots, but then also like modern day yoga and how it evolved through Krishnamacharya and then how his teaching lineages occurred through his uh, students, Patapi Joyce and Iyengar, and then yoga coming to America and why and how that took shape. And then there's this great book, Selling Yoga. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's so good. The title's terrible, but the book is about that journey of modern yoga and mm. how it, how the evolution came to be that it was what feels like this commodified commercial gym physical form, what we have type of practice, where that came from and how, Hmm. which is fascinating. And then through it is this idea also that yoga has always been an evolutionary practice. It's always evolved to the place and the time. So the fact that yoga has evolved as it's come to America, isn't it inherently bad by itself? Like not to get stuck in this idea of, well, the traditional yogis did it this way and to do it these other ways are bad. I don't agree with that. I feel like it does evolve and that's, we're not, like you said Mm -hmm. before, the ancient yogis who are meditating in caves were these new human beings. And yoga too came to America. The yogis came to America to give us yoga. So it's not like we took it, though there is that exchange and interaction in some degree we have in a way. And also it's been offered. And then the idea, the question that came up from them that was never spoken when we were becoming yoga teachers is, well, what about cultural appropriation? Mm -hmm. So what do you have to say about that? Um, Well, to kind of expand a little bit on what you're saying, I I also believe that we are in a different um, time where, um, yes, we are in the process of the evolution of yoga. And, and I think, collectively, I don't like to use that word, but I, I feel like, um, globally, I should say, <laughs> in terms of of spirituality and the um, spiritual teachings, or even other information for that matter, I think it's it's all there. It's all available for us to learn, mm-hmm. whether it's in books, whether it's coming from a teacher, whether it's we're pulling it out of the ethers, you yeah. know, through our intuition. Um, it's not hidden anymore. I don't think it's, it's hidden not anymore. Secret teachings, and anymore. I don't think it's meant to be. Right. And so I, I do believe that we're exactly where we need to be in that in mm-hmm. the evolution of of the yoga practice and um, with cultural appropriation. Um, my understanding is that it's it's a way you know of of just kind of taking pieces of of the, a culture or a ritual practice from indigenous cultures or, you know, 
material items from that and and not maybe understanding the full meaning of it Mm -hmm. and then maybe even exploiting it. You know, that would be what cultural appropriation means to me. What would be an example of that? Um, An example would be... um, I would say maybe even the simple example of a mala, mm-hmm. of a ma- 108 bead mala. Um, say a a new yogi, maybe mm-hmm. just just learning and 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 buys a mala, and wears the mala, um, but has no understanding of the ritual behind it um, or the meaning behind it. Um, and people I'm who are yogis, we're all guilty yogis of this. wear the beaded necklaces. So there's no judgment. And I want a beaded necklace. <laughs> yeah. There's no judgment of it. I'm totally Probably guilty of it. Probably all of us did that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because this is part of our quote yoga culture that we um, perceive it as is that maybe, you know, the mala is a kind of like, okay, it's part of belonging into this, this culture of yoga. Like a um, status symbol. A status. It's part of it. And, but it is also a very sacred um, uh, object mm-hmm. from these practices. And so I think, again, the importance is educating ourselves of these things. And um, would you say then, with the example of the mala, don't just wear a mala because it looks like a pretty necklace that all the yogis wear, but educate yourself about how to use it and why and what it means? Yeah, and and it's really it's kind of tricky because and it's I would say the um argument of cultural appropriation is also evolving and I think mm. we're trying to understand it better. Mm. Because then there's also art. Mm. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it it could be also a beautiful necklace, right? Okay. That is art. But I With mean the social is it? justice warriors would they adhere to it being okay if you felt like it was art? I guess the question would be, do you understand the importance behind it? Mm-hmm. Do you understand the history behind it, right? So again, educating yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that might be kind of a bad example, but I think it's okay. What's Okay. That example of the mala. Yeah, I think it's okay. Um, you know, another um, idea of cultural appropriation is maybe taking just pieces of the Sanskrit language and using that and not fully understanding the meaning of it, learning how to pr- pronounce it mm-hmm. correctly. Um, and I think... I think it comes down to respect <laughs> mm-hmm. and respecting the culture from which it came from. Um, and again, and the respect of how you're using it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing a mala now. This mm-hmm. is a mala that I got in India from during like the closing ceremony circle time. I was there for two weeks with Amrit Desai, the teacher. And in that closing ceremony, they gave everybody a mala. Beautiful. So now yeah. I wear this and when I wear it, it helps me to connect to mm-hmm. that energy of that time and place. Like it feels special yeah. and important to me as a gift that I received through that transmission and that time. Exactly. And so that is a, also a symbol of that ritual mm-hmm. that you, you know, partook in that was 
obviously rooted, deeply rooted in its in history of that symbol and ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say buying a mala, you know, on on Amazon is is not is is wrong or anything like that or different. But I think it again is like just educating and um, having having the respect of of kind of where that comes from and mm-hmm. how you're using it. Um, I know it's a controversial issue for sure. It is. And the thing that comes up for me around it too, just to speak to is because it's newer and we're all trying to understand it collectively together and there's different degrees of integration with it to be really mindful around shaming, whether it's shaming yes. yourself or shaming others. Absolutely. Because that's really... What, that's a lot worse. That's what we're trying to heal. Mm-hmm. Right. I heard that's what we need to, to, to heal in our, in everyone. Mm-hmm. And especially within our yoga practice is mm-hmm. the shaming. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. So even if there is like in your own life and lots of different ways, we maybe start to look at something a little bit differently to not give yourself a hard time about it. You just mm-hmm. see it as a moment of education of like, oh, wow, wait, mm-hmm. I was doing this from an unconscious place. Right. So it is just expanding our awareness and our consciousness around it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's so many, there's so many things within our Western culture and specifically in America, in the United States, that I feel like we have, you know, definitely taken pieces, bits and pieces from cultures all over around the world that we are, you know, using in, in our day to day or you know, our ritualistic practice practices, our healing practices. And I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um and it's it's kind of like I feel like we feel the need to do that too because we lack we're bereft some of that of our own culture and rituals exactly. in that way as a culture for sure. Besides Christianity and Judaism and yes. maybe things like that, if you're not attached to one of those religions, then what are you mm-hmm. attached to? And it is, it does come from a seeking place. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's coming from a seeking of of more meaning and sacredness mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, turning back towards those more traditional or indigenous or shamanic roots is a way of, of honoring them and bringing them mm-hmm. back to the forefront and bringing mm-hmm. that mindset and way of life back to the forefront. And it might start with like, a a dream catcher, mm-hmm. right? And then you start to learn more and more about what that means and the Native American history and culture and their connection to the earth. And then in that way, it's bringing a lot more life into those things that were have been downtrodden, mm-hmm. forgotten, and barely hung on mm-hmm. this long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any more thoughts with that? It's a big one. I it's love a that big one. I love that you're consciously turning towards that in your own practice and in your own teachings and being a voice for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's not always easy um, to look at that stuff because it is it is controversial. It triggers people. It triggers myself included. Um, but again, that's kind of where I've been called is to just further educate myself in these things. And um, yeah, and it's ongoing, um, ongoing discussion 
really. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the most important thing to take away from it is that it's just being open to the discussion of it. And yeah, that it's evolving too. And it's evolving too. Yeah. And yeah. the mindset within our culture is a new one. And mm-hmm. so it's just at its very beginning phases. And then it can tend towards extremism. But where's the middle road with it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I know you just got Sean's new book, Sean Korn's new book. What was that? Yes. What's that about? Have you read it all the way through? I'm almost done. Uh-huh. I have like one chapter left. It's The Revolution of the Soul. Um, just came out a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, it is wonderful. It's a memoir. Um, there's kind of mostly how she has set it up. And then each chapter, you know, she tells a story from a piece of her life. And then um, and then within that chapter, the second half of the chapter, she, she breaks it down into some of the yogic principles or philosophy mm-hmm. and how that tied into her that story and the lessons that she's learned from that story and mm-hmm. how, and it's, and it's really great because she, she talks about, you know, some of these yoga uh, principles, like the yamas and niyamas, the kleshas and, um, in such a different perspective. That's what I love about, you know, reading so many different yoga books mm-hmm. is getting these different perspectives. What's the perspective that she's talking about? What does she bring? From, I mean, really from her own life, but from, um, a very integrative point of view mm-hmm. um, and easy to understand as well in terms of these these philosophies and principles that maybe when you read it in a different yoga text seem sort of um, abstract. Um, but with her and how she's explaining it is in very specific examples of of her life. Like what? Could you share one with us? You, can um, you remember yeah, one? Let me try to remember. Um, um, so one example would be early on in the book when she talks about her very first kind of aha awakening moment <laughs> and, and teaching. Um, this is about Ahimsa. And... I can't remember exactly the the story. You guys will have to read the book. <laughs> but she's shown this image. But of, ahimsa means non-harming. Yes. Right? Thank you. Yeah. Non-harming. Or non-violence. Non-violence, non-harming of all beings, of, of how we think, how we choose our food. Um, how we internally talk to ourselves. Yes. Our yep, inner dialogue, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, but in this particular example, it's, it comes down to uh, food. And so she um, was shown an image of uh, a cow and his head being cut off for, you know, and this was a cow for for beef, you know, mm-hmm. for uh, meat production. And she just had a visceral response in her body and decided at that point in time that she was not going to eat meat. She became a vegetarian and later a vegan <clears throat> and still is to this day. And and so that's just one example. And then she goes on to, you know, has talks more in depth about that as well in 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 the context of the yamas, the yoga mm-hmm. precepts. Mm-hmm. Um so that that's one example. But um it's really, you know, reading the book um has had like a 
almost a visceral effect on me as well. And I and I think it's partly because she means a lot to me because I've, you know, been studying with her for the last three years and been in her presence and um, really soaking up a lot of her teachings and uh, feel that in my heart. And so I, of course, I'm a little bit um, biased with reading the book. Um, but it was such perfect timing because... As you know, I've taken a little bit of a break from teaching this last couple Mm -hmm. months and um, kind of exploring my own relationship with yoga and and just where I'm at in my life at this point, too. And and kind of, you know, almost like midlife crisis sort of thing. I don't, you know, I've... With yoga and your own life? My own life. Um, What's the midlife crisis that's coming up, Marcy? I like Brene Brown's way of describing it. It's a midlife crisis unraveling 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 rather uh-huh. than a crisis uh-huh. <laughs> so you are about 40 i'm 42 you're 42 and you're unraveling a little bit unraveling like kind of looking at looking kind of at where i'm at what am i doing mm-hmm. like and, an, a reassessment and Br- Brene brown just describes it so beautifully in this article she's written midlife unraveling i think you can look at her website it's on there uh-huh um but it's like you get to this point in your you know middle midlife, which is forties, I guess, maybe fifties at this point. Um, I think it starts right about forty for most people. The sounds about right. Yes, and so then you know there's almost like this panic, not so much of a panic, but of like, oh my god, I've I lived half my life and. And it's time is speeding up already. And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? It's got to be meaningful and. Uh, I got to do something with my life. And, and so these thoughts, you know, come up mm-hmm. and, and, and have That's definitely, what's coming up for you. definitely come up for me. Because it yes. has different flavors, the midlife unraveling. And it can take the, what am I doing life purpose one. Yes. And that's exactly, that's more of what it is for me. Uh-huh. What am I doing? What's my life purpose? So did you start to feel like me just being a yoga teacher isn't enough? Yes. You did. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be, I have to contribute more or bigger right. or better or different. I have yeah. to help save the world. Donald Trump is president. Ah. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know where I'm at. <laughs> but then, you know, I'm like, oh, wait a second here. I, I am doing enough. I'm a mom, you know, first and foremost. A wonderful mom. I'm a mom. I'm a mom. I'm a mom. Like any moms know that that is. Yeah. Already enough. How are you contributing? You're raising a human that's awake and aware. Yes, exactly. And that's my first job. Yeah. You know, is doing that. Yeah. And As a mother, I remember before I had Maya, before I got pregnant with her, I was um, out of a Pashana center down in Texas, just passing through and visiting. But there was a monk that said something that stuck with me forever till this day, because that was like 20 years ago. He said, being a parent. And allowing the space for a soul to come in to work out their karma in a safe and nurtured way is one of the greatest things you could ever do. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I've always held that as a parent. Like, I'm here Mm -hmm. to create a place and a way for you to work out your karma, whatever that might Mm -hmm. be, as that act of service. It's so true. Mm -hmm. And, And it is enough. It's huge. It's huge. To be a mom and to to do that for a little human mm-hmm. and to guide them along 
and take care of all their needs and everything. I mean, that's it's plenty. It is a lot. And lots of teachings, lots of teachings from there, you know, being a mom. Um, and, you know, all the other things I do, too, you know, r- helping my husband run the bar and, you know, my gardening and and just and playing, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is enough, too. And, and being a yoga teacher, as I know now, is enough. Totally. And I would say I would look towards you and who you are in the community and as a teacher and as a mom of like, oh, Marcy's figured out the beauty in the simplicity. Like it doesn't have to be all these lots of big and other things. It's just like I can live this like, and I hope that simple's not um, condescending in any way. It's just like this sort of perfectionism in the clarity of those things. It appears that way, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From the outside. And I know internally it's way different. But on the outside, it feels just like a nice package. And then midlife crisis happens. And then a new energies, it just sounds like it has been awoken within you. And so it's almost like the midlife crisis time started perhaps in like 2015 or 16 before you went to that training with Sean Korn, where it was like, no, there, I need, there's something mm-hmm. calling to me. And I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling the energy of being called and I'm listening to that. And now I'm going to start to do these different things and teachings and trainings. And I don't know what form it's taking, but I'm being called here. I'm yes. being called to look at myself and the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that calling um, was was not as much as the kind of the midlife thing. Um, I think that calling is is definitely like a heart calling. Um, Are they tied together <clears throat> though? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, but I I feel like it's been in the last year okay. where the midlife thing has happened. Mm-hmm. Where and it's it's been such a good experience too of becoming really unattached to mm-hmm. any kind of results of especially when it comes to yoga teaching mm-hmm. and my career in that and. You know, I was considering not doing it anymore um, within the last uh, six months or so. Um, Because? I I feel like I just needed a change. Is it the sense of burnout? Yes, it's burnout. Okay. Big time. Okay. Definitely burnout. And so this is where... I needed to take the break. Which you have. You've been on sabbatical for a while. From my regular weekly schedule, um, which has been nice. Um, and so I definitely have have come up with some, some good re- uh, realizations, I guess. Um, for one, that I'm not going to quit teaching. Yay! <laughs> And the crowd goes wild. How did did you come to that realization? um, Well, I I knew that that was probably mostly true anyway. (laughs) That you weren't going to quit. In my heart that that was true. And there's Um, a difference between quitting and I just need a break. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And so having a break is okay. Yeah. And and at times necessary. Mm-hmm. And so I think coming back to reading Sean's book has has helped me with this process. Because through reading her book, you know, she is 
explaining a, a lot of her yogic journey of of how she's um, really transformed her life and into kind of where she is now, and and just her her insights from her her yogic practice and her journey um, were so helpful to hear. Mm-hmm. That just on the mat as a student in a class, like there's so much going on. Yes. More than I know for my students. I mean, from a teacher's perspective, that there's way much, way more going on than I even know. And and sometimes I forget that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like teaching, um, we're in a vacuum, you know, where you come and teach and then you leave and it's done and and you know, you you have no idea of of what you just did or how the effect is. And, you know, so that's part of it where I felt like sometimes um, it's a vacuum. Like you weren't connected to how meaningful it was for your students? Yeah. Um, there's not as much, there's not so much feedback uh-huh. um, when, as a teacher. When you show up to teach publicly um, and... And and that's my own thing, because, you know, I'm I just have to trust that I'm doing what I need to do. I'm showing up in an authentic way and sharing yoga and teaching yoga, and it's and it's their own practice, and and you know what's going to resonate with them is going to resonate, and what's not is not, and and just to trust in that mm-hmm. process that I don't necessarily need this kind of traditional feedback. And, you know, I've already kind of come to that um, resolve and knowing that that's not um, letting go of that expectation, I guess. And Did that, you go through or what was awoken in you? Was it feelings of self-doubt? Well, that is a um, what I, I struggle with. Okay. A lot. That so is that's probably a lifelong. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then... Yes, you just, you just <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. And so you needed to go through that process yourself. We're feeling like I have a packed class and everyone's coming and they're super regular and dedicated to me, but is it enough? Right. Are they See? Really it's my it? own thing. Am I good enough? Like, and then probably like that's com- not enough feedback. Comparison to, <laughs> well, my, it doesn't look like X mm-hmm. is doing it. Did mm-hmm. you start to compare or the comparing maybe got um, to you? I wasn't, I wasn't actually comparing. Okay. Um, I mean, I can't say, I can't say that I never do compare, but I don't think that that was really. That wasn't a piece of that process. Uh, the piece of the process. No, I, I feel like I will, I struggle with self-doubt, um, but it, ha- but it's been way better. I mean, for several years now, I mean, early on, I struggled big time with that and just beat myself up so badly. Um, and, but I, I'm, I've resolved that a lot now, mm-hmm. but I, there's still always going to be that piece of self-doubt. Um, Do you really think so? There's always going to be pieces. Okay, of maybe self-doubt. not always. Yes, that's a limited belief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe not always. It's very, um, very small now. Okay, it's a very small percentage. Um, but I think with with the burnout piece, what was happening. Um, for me, and this is one of the realizations I just kind of had last couple weeks, is that um, was I n- was I kind of resisting necessary change and growth as a teacher, and maybe as a student as yoga as well, 
um, and wanting to just quit because I'm resisting the oh, necessary growth. Yeah. Yep. That will happen. And I, I don't want to turn it. towards that. F that. I'm out of here. Yep. I don't want to move into that thing. Yes. Yeah. So I realized that that is a huge mm-hmm. piece of kind of where I'm at. And so I basically just have to show up on my mat more often. Personally. Personally, as a student. Yes. And I had my own, I've had my own personal practice for years, for most of my teaching life. Um, you mean your practice at home? My practice at home, yes. My mm-hmm. my home practice. And that's where it, it's been better for me to do that in terms of, or rather than going to a public class. Um, but now I feel like it's kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like now I need to go to public classes mm-hmm. and be guided and to have that kind of time frame that's um, time commitment, yep. you know, that's that's there where, you know, I'm not going to leave I'm because I wouldn't leave early. You know, it would force me to like stay there. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I guess I've gotten lazy. I've gotten more lazy in my my personal practice and hating to admit that because I never have been. Um, but that's okay. And that's where I feel like, like it was sort of duh. Like, mm-hmm. of course, my teaching is going to be different if I'm not showing up for myself. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily like to use the word lazy because I can do that to myself too. And I try to reframe it like my priorities shifted. Like I just gave more attention to mm-hmm. other things in my life. And sometimes those things are really necessary. Mm-hmm. And then the self-care goes to the wayside. And then maybe that was true for a moment. Then we get into the habit of it. And we mm-hmm. let it slide more and more. And then we don't even notice really that we've done that until yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that reminder. It's true. Because I'm sure you're not actually lazy. Yeah. It's not It's not the best word to use. Is that's so, you know, again, harming to the and, self. But you know what? Sometimes you might be lazy and, and that's okay. sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes you just need yeah. to rest. Yeah. And that's great. Mm-hmm. So that has been uh, a good um, kind of remembering for me that mm-hmm. to come back to my practice and and that it has also shifted a lot too for me um, in that it's less movement in terms of vinyasa. So I'm you know, obviously vinyasa teacher and practitioner um, and less dynamic movement mm-hmm. and you know, this for me um, has has shifted big time because, you know, I studied with Shiva Ray in the beginning of my yoga trainings and when I first started teaching. So yeah. about for a good five years, I trained with her, um, which is very much about movement and um, creative vinyasas and creative sequencing and and just super fun and fluid and playful and um it was great it opened me up in so many ways and I've always been someone who loves movement and actually needs it um I feel like to move energy through my body Mm -hmm. um but for yoga it has changed a lot and even more so that I have um became more embodied in myself but also have worked through the different traumas that I've held in my body. Mm-hmm. And so and, and understanding more about trauma and how it lives in the body as well has helped me to make that connection between how my um, yoga has shifted. 
Yeah. It's really fascinating. And allowing yourself to have a cycle and a season. Mm-hmm. Like the Shiva Ray, it almost makes me think of like the summer season of your yoga teaching and practice. And now maybe you're moving more towards autumn and fall. And yeah. what that looks like and how that feels. Yeah, which makes sense in at my age too. Right. And, and how old I was too with studying with Shiva. Exactly. Totally. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and if with understanding trauma in the body too, like being able to move in a faster way worked for me at that time because I, I think I held so much in my body, just in memories of developmental trauma and um, that it was to be able to slow down in the yoga. So say if I was going to start a yin practice at that point in my life, I, I don't think it would have worked. And I, I think I would have probably resisted for one and because <laughs> I even still do. <laughs> and um, it wouldn't have worked because it would require so much stillness. Mm-hmm. and paying attention to what's going on in my body and releasing tension and releasing traumas. Like, I think it would have been too much early on. And so the dynamic movement, I think, really helped. And then shift has been, I mean, I can just see the evolution of it, just if I was to like graph it out, you know, yeah, like slowly progressing to less and less dynamic flow and very simple vinyasas mm-hmm. and where and even holding the standing poses longer and i would say it's you know definitely more of an advanced practice too to be able to still be still mm-hmm. and hold those poses um and then adding you know the mental piece of just being able to focus on the body and what it's doing yep like actually doing that and tracking the sensations and what's coming up and the yep. triggers that are coming up. Uh, again, all that stuff that shows up on the mat that is still within our body. And it's I just said that nearly exact same thing to my class today. I taught my Yen Noon class and I said to them something like, what's important to me is how focused your awareness is on the present moment that you're consciously breathing and that you're receiving everything from the state of non-judgmental the witness consciousness self. And I don't care really at all how your outer form looks. And your advanced mm-hmm. practice is those things, the internal things that are happening right now of yes. you staying present with yourself. Exactly. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming to your class. I need to, <laughs> I need to come to Yen. <laughs> I have one guy after class today say, I always hated yin. I don't hate it anymore. He just said that today. I thought I hated yin. I'm like, well, people hate, do hate yin, but I'm glad you don't hate it now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a hater. I just am a resistor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I need it. That means I need it. Yeah. And that's like a clue even like, oh, lean into the thing mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. creating the resistance. Yeah. That feels like a wall. Yeah. Ooh, what's in there? Yeah, Exactly. And it all unfolds in its own pace and timing, you know, it, and yeah. the practice that you had earlier was exactly what you needed as you described it. Like that was what I needed at that time. And so there's no judgment against that it's changing or it's not that now because it was perfect as mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And now you're open to it becoming something different. Yeah. And and just staying open to that in this in this moment, you know, just while I'm in this kind of transition or I don't even know it was a transition. It's just a evolution, I suppose, of 
my teaching. Because um, like I said earlier, it's I do believe there's a level of resistance to the change that I that's necessary for me. Um, and so I'm going to lean into it and kind of get in there and explore. When you come back to your mat and start teaching again, will you teach in a different way? Um, I don't think it'll be drastic, drastically different. Um, I think, um, what I would, would like to see myself do more of is to, um, just be kind of like doing what I already do as a teacher, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just turn amplifying that even more. So what that means is I'm still teaching vinyasa sequencing that's very simple. It might even get more simple. <laughs> it might even add some yen Your in there. Simple is different than somebody else's simple. It's true. <laughs> it's relative. <laughs> yes. But you know, more and more so, it's like I do some sun salutations and then we do some standing poses and that are not that are not very complicated sequences. So did, do you think that yourself as a teacher before had this feeling like, oh, it's gotta be creative? It's gotta be yeah, different. Absolutely. It's gotta be like, ooh, cool. How did we do the what's and now we're mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. As yeah. a yoga teacher, I would say a lot of teachers go through that arc of feeling like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, and it's super fun mm-hmm. um, being in that creative space and and developing sequences and playing with them and playing with the poses. Like it's really fun. Like, and I love being in that creative space of that. But for me, it's it has definitely I think had its time. Yeah, it, it. I would say it contains a different kind of energy mm-hmm. that you're getting from the practice. Yeah, and then one's not inherently better or worse. It's just different. Right. It's just different, mm-hmm. and. And and more and more now, I like you're saying, I I want to use the practice as um, a way to just be present, and and of course it seems so simple, right? Yeah, but it's actually really hard. It is really hard. It's really hard. I said that to the class today too, because I said just be present. And I said, and I know that it's incredibly challenging because most of us and myself included, it's like a muscle that's atrophied and it takes a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. And we have to bring ourselves back again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So this, it's simple to say, be present or relax. Mm-hmm. And it's so challenging. It's so challenging. And to recognize that, yes, it's challenging and that's okay. And it's a yeah. practice. Uh, I think the imagery of a muscle is a helpful one for myself where it's like it's starting really tiny, but the more I do it, it gets bigger and easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Sean also, she says the advanced practitioner is is not the one who can do, you know, the fullest expression of a pose or the super advanced pose. Yeah. The advanced practitioner is someone who is able to be present with the discomfort, the pain that's arising or whatever is arising. doesn't always have to be that. And can still breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter if someone comes and you lay in Shavasana the whole time. And or in, in whatever pose. Exactly. I think of it too like gymnasts or Cirque du Soleil acrobats or whatever that could do amazing feats with their body there's plenty of them are that are probably total assholes 
Like just because they can do that with their body doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're enlightened. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like veganism or vegetarian. Just because you're not doing that, you can still be a total asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's not where it's at. And that's just the, right, the, the ego mind that is projecting yes. that and is protecting whatever else is going on mm-hmm. inside. Yeah, it's the inner work. It's the inner work. Yes. The inside job. Yeah. And so I, in, in coming back to teaching, um, I, that's it. I want to amplify that, like how, how we use this practice as being present with everything. So with everything that is arising, like our, whatever sensation, sensations coming up in the body and, and tracking that, because that is like, that's our energy. That's our emotions, our traumas that live in the body. And, but then also what's going on in your life? Like what is coming up on the mat that maybe that conversation that you had earlier is coming up again? Right. You know, staying with that. So it's not about like necessarily shutting the mind off Mm -hmm. because as we know, we can't really do that. I mean, we can with lots and lots of meditative practice. Sure. Um, That's the advanced practice for sure. Um, But we're talking about public class, people coming in from work, you know, where their mind is, the mind is all over the place. And so on the mat, there's that really good opportunity, right? Of like, oh, that memory comes back of that conversation or that person. Okay, stay with that. What is that? You know, was that a charge? Did it, were you triggered? You know, like these kinds of things where, or our political environment that's coming up, like what's going on for you with that? Because Mm -hmm. we can talk all we want of how we want to separate ourselves from all of those things, especially politics, but it really is personal, becomes personal. It's highly personal. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's kind of where I want to amplify that. And then, you know, for, for me as a teacher, just also having less fear of, of um, speaking what wants to come through because that's been... Would you say that you've been a teacher who does that? I You're am, not perceived but that I still way. have a little bit of fear. You're not perceived that way. That's so funny. It, but I, I personally resonate with that because even I've had, I've watched me have these silly things like I'm afraid or I used to be afraid, deathly afraid in class to say the word love. Isn't that silly? That's or so spirit funny. or spiritual, even though that's like my favorite thing and what yeah. I try to embody in the essence I'm trying to deliver. But I, I was always afraid to say it. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because it's vulnerable. <laughs> Those are vulnerable things. It's vulnerable. Spirit, it was me being spirit as, and love, mm-hmm. super vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But here we are in the yoga space, right? It's like it's so funny because I think that's a common thing for yoga teachers. Because mm-hmm. within our yoga school, I you know hear the teachers talk about how you know they would like to bring that kind of stuff into their classes but they don't know how and they're afraid to and it's so funny because i would say that most people's perceptions of yoga there's some kind of element of spirituality connected to it yeah even if the, an outsider's view of does, doesn't know much about yoga i think that they would connect spirit in some way totally My know, even just a little small fraction mm-hmm. of a skeptic that would, can be that would still make that connection. And so here we are like so afraid of talking about it when it's so obvious embedded into the practice. Yeah. It's and 
yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I my advice to new yoga teachers, the ones that I'm training, have often been like, they're because they'll talk about that authenticity piece. Like, I'm afraid to do this or that. I don't want people to perceive me as weird. Let's say, and I'm like, get weird. Yes, be as weird as you can because everybody's actually weird. Yeah, and when you're weird. They like that because they're kind of probably looking for a place to let that weirdness express itself. And yeah. you can find that in the safety of a yoga studio. Like, let's just do the weird thing mm-hmm. or the thing that feels like that. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I think, would attract students actually versus yeah. the opposite of what we're afraid of. We're afraid we're going to turn people off and they're never going to come back. The opposite is true. Right. But I know it's it's funny how how we are so afraid. And, you know, I think from my understanding is that there's such a strong human desire and need, even just on the subconscious level to conform. Yeah. And to be accepted. And to be accepted. Mm -hmm. But it, it brings me to where I also feel like the yoga platform is such a good opportunity to to create change with, within our own personal lives, but then also the social change in, in what you're saying is just allowing ourselves just to be who we are and be weird. Because I think one of the reasons why yoga has grown so much and is, you know, more and more accessible now um, and, and mainstream is that we're all looking for something to something to connect, something um, more rich mm-hmm. for this experience, and 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 ultimately looking for change. Yeah, I would say like not one person can step into that yoga studio and deny that they don't want to change. They're all coming, I would say, for some aspect of their own healing. Exactly, mm-hmm. whether it, they know it or not. Even it, yep. Mm-hmm. And and some people are conscious consciously choosing. And it's different layers of healing. Different layers, but it's that at its root. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with that is, you know, the belief that society is made up of individuals, obviously, and the way that you create social change is by changing the individuals. Mm-hmm. And so if each individual is changing for the better, of course, there's right, more voices hope, that are going to say, then, oh, no, not like that again. Yeah. And so I think I really believe like yoga is such a good place for it. Where, I mean, as we've seen in our own yoga experience and then also in our school, like how we transform, like in such a small period of time even. Yes. You know, it doesn't take much. Mm -mm. It's amazing. Mm -mm. It's such a gift. It's such a blessing. I'm so grateful. I love yoga so much. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I have a new love for it. Oh, good. <laughs> We're glad you're coming out of this. Not If we would have lost you, there's no way that would have happened. You could not have gone into retirement. I mean, maybe, but no. <laughs> no, not retirement, not for sure. But <laughs> I think it was really just like my three-year-old self, like having a tantrum. And have the tantrum. Yeah, have the tantrum. Like, no, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> pay attention to me yeah (laughs) so the three-year-old kind of had her tantrum and 
is is growing up now. <laughs> Yay. And you'll have a tantrum again and again and again. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so grateful that you've shared all of that. It's felt um, really vulnerable and real. And I feel lots of depth and meaning in it. I'm looking forward to seeing you as a student and as Thank a teacher you. again. Thanks, Marissa. You're welcome. I appreciate all what you do. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything um, that you want to tell our listeners about where to find you or I know you've got a retreat coming up or anything like that where they can experience Marcy Midnight? Sure. Um, I teach at Sage Yoga and Wellness. <laughs> um, Monday nights is my favorite class. Love that class. Monday nights at 530 and then Wednesday mornings. And then the teacher trainings that we offer there as well. Um, I have a retreat in Mexico in January. Um, I don't have a website. It's you funny. Don't? I've never had a website. Oh, well, you send out a newsletter. I send out a newsletter almost every month. Hmm. Um, but people can find me at Sage. Um, you can find me on Facebook. And Are, Do you really have a Facebook presence? I will communicate through Messenger. Okay. If anyone wants a to. A direct message, private messenger on Facebook. Yeah. But you don't have like Marcy Midnight Yoga. I don't. I don't have a page. Yeah. No, I have a personal Facebook. So Marcy Midnight, you can find me there. Yeah. Okay. I know. I. It's funny. I never have actually needed a website, but I feel like I would like to have one now. Yeah. It could be a new way to reinvent yourself. Sure. Coming back out of this little cocoon shell. Yeah. Into the world. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? It'd be good. But you can find me. You can. Marcy Midnight's. That's right. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you. 